I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a very, very different conversation than those of which you have become accustomed here on the podcast. And you're going to love it. It's absolutely true. This is a very different type of conversation because for the past nine years doing this show, I have tried to bring you all kinds of different angles and perspectives on design. I'm really proud of that. I feel a responsibility, a challenge, if you will, to continue driving the conversation forward. I've been thinking about this for quite some time. Something that you may not know about me is the many different things I've done as a journalist during and before covering design and architecture almost exclusively. For a few years, I was doing interviews for Playboy and the radio division of Playboy. I hosted interviews with celebrities in much the same way you would read the interviews in the magazine, but these were audio. I was listening to many of these conversations recently, and I started hearing, it was amazing, some similarities in the way artists from other disciplines discuss their work in similar ways to those in design and architecture. And I thought about it, and I thought it would be fun to re-air some of these conversations uh, with tremendous gratitude to Playboy for allowing this. Um, the chat you are about to hear is one I shared with multi-Grammy award-winning jazz musician and leader of Stay Human, the house band for Stephen Colbert. What I find so interesting about my conversation with John Batiste is his perspective on jazz in particular, music in general, and the manner in which he writes and plays as a vehicle to deliver emotion. Much of the interior design business revolves around emotional delivery as well. Crafting a space and delivering an emotional, purposeful product, it's a gift, my hope is that you will enjoy this conversation and realize the one true through line that all successful creative people possess is the ability to elicit a reaction. And again, that is an absolute gift. In future episodes, you are going to hear from past interviews of mine showcasing creatives from different fields than design and architecture with the hope and purpose that you can take some of their ideas about creativity to craft new ideas and dream big yourselves. Enjoy this conversation with John Batiste. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division 
1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. Jonathan Batiste is a musician and band leader from Louisiana. He also is part of the Batiste Brothers Band or Batiste Family Band, Batiste Clan. They answer to a lot of things. They go by a lot of names. But one thing is clear. This is definitely a musical family. Jonathan has played some of the world's biggest stages, and this year will be taking the stage at the Playboy Jazz Festival with his band, Stay Human. I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is the Playboy Radio Interview with musician and, uh, and human Jonathan Batiste. Jonathan, how are you today? Wonderful. How are you doing? Outstanding. Welcome. So you are from Kenner, Louisiana, which is, right. which is about 15 minutes outside of New Orleans, but mm-hmm. in your youth, you'd, you'd go into New Orleans and play in the clubs and on the streets. You learned what a special place New Orleans is. Tell, tell me, what makes New Orleans so special, and, and what makes it the mecca of, of jazz? Well, it starts with New Orleans being a port city. If you think about a port city, you have all of these different cultures coming in, going out, trading, and that kind of became what the culture of music and food that we have today started at the turn of the century with jazz. You know, all of that happened because everybody was coming into New Orleans. and This mixture of cultures created this really unique spot on the map that, uh, I mean, it didn't happen anywhere else in the world. So we're special in that way. How old were you when, when you started performing with the Batiste Brothers Band? Well, you know, I never really thought of it as performing. We would kind of just be... On stage, and, uh, you know, as young as I can remember, I started on drums, and we would just be there with the family playing and hanging out, and it was more of a communal experience. And um, it wasn't like we were performing or it was, wasn't was rehearsed or anything like that. It was just we were young, and they played, and our dads had flipped, my dads played, cousins played, and, you know, it was just like, here, you play too. You just sit up there and play something. Man, that is so. Going into the family business wasn't like going into the family business. It's like you're a kid, you're playing baseball, you're playing piano, you're playing the drums, you're playing football. It's just, it's just part of what, part of what you did. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like that in New Orleans, where there are tons of different things that music is always a part of. It whether it's eating, when someone dies, you know, when someone is born, there's music for everything. So you kind of grow up with music. Well, so I, I've heard you speak before, and for you, going from Kenner, Louisiana, into New Orleans was, was something special. How did, that, how did that shape your music? How did that shape your voice? Well, you know, being in Kenner, I had a very normal, so to speak, uh, standard upbringing with, you know, the suburbs and playing basketball, playing with my friends around the corner, you know, doing that kind of thing that, Every kid talks about doing and then going into New Orleans was more of the thing that I didn't realize was unique or special until I started to tour when I was, you know, around 13 or 14 and going outside of New Orleans, realizing music isn't as entrenched in the culture of every other place 
same way that New Orleans has these musical families that I also realized was um, not something that you always have as a part of uh, any culture, really, that you can think of besides a few spots. Maybe you can look into, you know, New York or Austin. But um, it's, it's a very special place to kind of have the two sides of it growing up. That really informed me. So what was it like for you going from New Orleans, then attending Juilliard? Was it what you expected? Was it different? Well, New York is amazing. You know, you have all of these different blends, just like New Orleans, except it's global. You have this 160-culture blend of people stacked on top of one another, and all of this energy is kinetic, and I love that. So I felt right at home going to New York City and, and being a part of it. I mean, that's kind of why I left so early. You know, at 17, going to New York straight from Kenner, and I've been there now for 10 years. It's like home for me in the sense that I kind of grew up and in, in, uh, started my band there. My young adult years I've developed there, and my, my musical presence in the city has become really entrenched more so in New York in a lot of ways than even in New Orleans. Really? So it's a beautiful thing for me, you know. Okay. Uh, tell me about your work at uh, at the Lincoln Center. Well, Lincoln Center is something that I've done as a part of being in Juilliard and also just a part of the, the scene. You know, Lincoln Center is a huge capital for jazz and um, as well as classical music, opera, dance. Um, even recently working on a piece with the artist J.R., that was um, done with the, the, the ballet, and um, it was a nice collaboration. But um, I think that the idea of Lincoln Center is what we're doing at the National Jazz Museum in Harlem, which is, you know, to bring the, the arts and the culture to a contemporary context. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, too. Um, you've been involved with the National Jazz Museum in Harlem. How did, how did that come about, and what, do, what is the work that you do there? How are, how are you... How are you using your talent and skill to commemorate, memorialize, save, move it forward? Well, I don't want to save jazz. I don't think that that's something you should try to do. I think jazz is great, and if you realize it, it's better for you. And if not, that's fine, too, because it's still going to be great, (laughs) whether you realize it or not. Uh, so so this idea that people have of saving jazz, I don't think jazz really needs to be saved. I think what I do at the museum is is um, very in line with what I do with Stay Human. Um, Stay Human being, you know, a band that's not just a jazz band, but the National Jazz Museum being deeply entrenched in jazz. The goal of both is to create community and uplift people, bring together people who want, I guess, from similar backgrounds or may not think they have anything in common and then through the music and through the power of that exchange show them wow we we're actually more the same than we are different and we can actually share a meaningful moment through the arts okay so let's talk about this for a second because i want to talk about social music i want to talk about stay human when but when something you said you don't think that we should try to save jazz and and i find the statement interesting because you're you you come from a multi generational jazz background, and you know I've had this conversation a lot, especially since last year. I mean, as as you know, on the bill this year, 
um, they're they're doing an homage to uh, to George Duke, and and we had the benefit of talking to to George last year, and man, what a great conversation with him! Just a happy man, and and music was in his voice, and such a unique individual. And then, yeah. and then two months after the the festival, he's gone. And jazz, in particular, had a had a rough year last year, right? We lost we lost a lot of good voices. We lost a lot of good people. And you know, if this is if we're talking about rock, or you know, genre speaking, right? If we're talking about rock, or we're talking about pop, or we're talking about country, hip hop, there are always new artists who who come up and and fill a void and create something new and create new music and it's different but with jazz um and and you would probably have a better perspective on this than i would but it seems like there there aren't a lot of replacements and and i don't want to call them replacements uh there aren't a lot of new voices coming up in the genre so maybe it's maybe it's not saving um maybe it's trying to to historically uh, what is it do you know what i'm trying to say yeah i um I think that there's a beauty in jazz and a truth in jazz that I think if you're you're here, so to speak, if you have a calling, even if you will, to to save jazz or to to do that, and you're really moved to to really preserve it, I think that that's important. The, the historical context of anything great and that was meaningful to people and and has really enriched the world should be preserved and um, should be preserved in a way that has a lot of integrity so, so that people, you know, I guess 100 years from now could go and check it out and delve into it. But as far as an artist, I think you're, you're really meant to create and you create from your heart and you create something that fills a need and um, that's what makes it meaningful. So I feel like to consider the prospect of saving a genre of music is so daunting that how could you think of creating within your heart? It's kind of locking you into a, um, a mind frame that's more of um, it's almost like martyrdom. So I, I think <laughs> that the, the idea of saving a genre also is um, it, it's, it's kind of unnecessary because whether or not people play jazz, I'll go back to what I was saying about having that truth in it, it's going to endure because of that element that um, makes it great, that intangible thing that over generations people are going to be drawn to it. And even if people don't play it for 100, 200 years, someone's going to come along and they're not going to find anything that suits them and uh, tickles their fancy until they find jazz. And they're going to be like, okay, well, I have to do this because there's no other form of music like this and this is exactly what I want to do. So there's always going to be people coming up and playing it. I think they're always going to have periods where there's less people playing it, then more people will start to play it. And it goes in waves. It's like ebbs and flows. But I don't think you have to try to save it because it's so great. It will endure. As long as you're innovating, right? As long as you're innovating and you're creating, filling a need with your music and, um, it's coming from the heart. It's really who you are, and you're not trying to take on a task that's um, that that that's really bigger than just one artist. You know, how could how is that possible for one artist to save a style of music? Fair enough. I the the your new group is Stay Human, 
and so- right. Social Music is the new album. And I love this because really, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but really what you're talking about is a, a, a connected society, and, and you're playing to that connected society. So tell, tell me about this album. Tell me how it came about. And what I really love, by the way, is, you know, I noticed... I noticed, you know, hip hop references. There's, there's rag in there. I mean, you, you really introduce or reintroduce in your own way. Um, there's a lot of throwbacks and there's a lot of new stuff. So, how did this come around? Oh well, social music is is more of the concept of bringing people together through music and um, the experience of 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 what that that uh that live show or that that unexpected occurrence of uh you know you're you're walking around somewhere and you see a band playing maybe even if it's in the subway or on a street corner or something you don't expect to be moved and they move you and it changes your life or there's just just so many ways that you can use music and um like you say connect people so taking genres into account if you want to think about it in terms of genre Every person or every group of people that uh, you know have similar interests, they have a particular genre that, that that corresponds with that group of people. So if you kind of separate yourself through playing one genre or playing another genre, you're kind of relegating yourself to this one group of people, the group of people that are interested in that. But if you put them all together, you're bringing a whole bunch of people together. If you can effectively do it in a way that there's something there for everybody to engage with, but it puts it in a different perspective because it's a blend that they hadn't heard before. So that's kind of the concept of social music. And um, I think we achieved it pretty well. It was the first time that I've ever tried to really do that consciously. It's just naturally how I hear music. And I think how our generation has grown to hear music. So it's, um, it'll be interesting to see how this concept develops. You said that it's the first time that you've tried to do this consciously. How, how was the process for you? Well, the process, if you listen to the album, the the tracks fit together and flow like um, a suite, trying to figure out, it's almost like putting a set list together of many different styles and trying to make them all have a cohesive statement and not sound like it's... Um, it's just a lot of different things put next to each other with no relationship. So um, that was the conscious effort. Before, I would think about, you know, what songs do I like? How do I want to play? But it wasn't, the, the styles weren't as far apart as they've come to, I've actually, basically social music is the furthest I've stretched with the concept. So I had to consciously think about how to put it together. Yeah, was that uh, was that an uncomfortable or comfortable process for you? It was comfortable because it was um, it's inevitable in terms of how it was developing. You know, I, I've been through a lot of different phases. Um, my family is is interesting in that way because jazz is a part of our background, but also my father and my uncles they didn't really play jazz. They were more of funk musicians, like they uh, played in the style of New Orleans funk. Like if you listen to the Meters, in fact, uh, my cousin Russell plays in the Meters, and my uncle he used to play in the Meters, and that style was something that I grew up with. 
well as studying classical piano, as well as playing with many different styles of artists in New Orleans at an early age. And that was always a part of my musical upbringing. And I went through different periods where I would focus on jazz or I would focus on playing this solo classical piano repertoire. Or then I would focus on playing with the subway band, with the, with the melodica and, and uh, trying to figure that out. And then social music inevitably was the first time that, okay, after I've been, done all of these different eras of uh, my musical development, now it's time to figure out how to put them all into one project. So it was uh, it was natural, but um, still took thought because I hadn't done anything like it before. Something else that you hadn't done before until you did it for the first time was, uh, what's a love riot? Tell me about the love riot. Wow, man. <laughs> love riot is, is um, again, a natural thing spontaneously that um, it happened spontaneously the first time where we were on our way home from a show and we were on a street corner in the lower east side of New York City and we had our instruments out and just for fun we decided let's play for these two people that were standing on the corner. So then after we played it was about 15 minutes there were about 20, 25 people. Then five minutes later from that we look up it's 100 people and then it ends in like you know 30 minutes later from when we started it's like 300 people and then cops are coming on horseback and people are chanting one more song, one more song blocking the street. And, uh, we literally had to sprint to, uh, get away from it all. And it felt like a riot. <laughs> that was why I was like, man, it was like a riot, but people weren't hurting each other and they were coming together and everybody was having such a great time and no one knew each other. So it's like, it's a love riot. And that's where the concept kind of, um, was born and we of course you know we've, we've evolved from then to come up with different ways of striking our targeted area to have the most impact but uh yeah that's kind of where it started that that really is the definition of social music isn't it oh yeah that's that's a that's a big part of it the the idea of there's not anything going then there's music then there's people coming together with the music and you leave it all with a good feeling. The uh, the band name is Stay Human. Uh, that's that's more than a band name to you, isn't it? It's more of a philosophy. Yeah, definitely. Where did that come from? Well, we all coming from different musical backgrounds, but believing conceptually in the idea that live music and and musical performance or genuine human exchange through music performance is something that can definitely change the world for the better. We all believe in that and we all believe in the, the, the idea that human beings creating is one of the, the most mystical and beautiful things that uh, as a human being we can do, whether it's creating in, um, in business or creating arts and crafts or creating visual art, music, Drama, it's, it's beautiful to have something in your mind and, um, and in your spirit and then kind of make it manifest in the world to inspire other people. So um, staying human is, is really just keeping that, in whatever you do, keeping that spirit of creativity and um, inspiration. So um, that's, that's really what the band name is all about. 
stay human. You uh, Earlier you mentioned collaborations and the importance of, of collaborations. Tell me about some of your favorites. You've, you've played with, you know, just to name a few, uh, Harry Connick Jr., Dr. John, the Neville Brothers, Lenny Kravitz, Jimmy Buffett, a bunch more in, in different genres as well. Some of your favorite collaborations. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> That's tough to say because every collaboration is different in that you you see everyone's process is different. Like um, on stage with Prince, it feels different, and the process to prepare to do that is much different than going on stage with Jimmy Buffett. And I think the idea of playing and being a musician is to learn from other musicians and steal. Because, I mean, you know, <laughs> Sonny Rollins said, uh, once it hits the air, it, it, it's fair for anybody to use it. So you kind of kind of have to just look at what they have to offer and um, take what you like and leave what you don't like. So tell me about that. Once it, Okay, so once it hits the air, it's it's free for anyone to take and to use. But in an art form, uh, do, ha, do you feel the same way? Because I guess some people, you know, w- would say, well, you know, I started that. No, I started that. It can get competitive. But at the same time, um, it's, it's not what anyone – there aren't an infinite number of notes. There's a, there's a finite number of notes. It's, it's what you do with them. Um, but is it the, is it the collaboration that, that helps you learn what to do with them? Well, the beauty of collaboration is it always yields something that you wouldn't have thought of on your own because you put together two different worlds and the influence of one world against the other creates something that is, is unique to that collaboration. And I don't think that it, it, um, it changes the fact that you know, you you may have started it or you may have had an idea first that kind of was the creative catalyst or the spark. But um, I think once that idea is out and, and um, cats out of the bag, you can't really, it's not about stealing verbatim. It's about taking that inspiration and creating something that's unique to your voice based on something that you heard from somebody else do, uh, something that a collaborator may have inspired you to think about. So it's, it's really not about copying when you hear something that's, that you like and stealing, so to speak. But it's more just like, if I hear somebody do something, then I'm going to immediately say, if I like it, how can I figure out how to do that in my own way? And that's where the creativity comes in. And that's why when you have a creative genius in the arts, it's amazing because it sounds like they're playing something that has never been played before, but... Like you said, there aren't any new notes. There's nothing new under the sun. Right. Um, the the music industry as as a business. So I think this is an interesting question for someone like you because you know you're involved with the National Jazz Museum, involved with Lincoln Center. You're you're very involved from that side of the business. You you came up in a musical family, so you've 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 had the opportunity to see how the music business has changed from the from the business side. Uh, since a very young age, the way distribution, the way getting getting records are produced today, um, has that changed the way you and your family operate the family business? Well, 
I'm I'm more of the uh, the 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 business guy for uh, for what it is that I'm doing in New York because most of my family, well, all of my family actually still lives in New Orleans, and um, of course I visit and we perform together. But when it comes to the business, I've built a really cool team here that um, they, they handle stuff that I feel like in this new new uh music business climate is uh there's always something unexpected so you gotta have you kind of have to create your team based on what your vision is there's no blueprint you know there's no there's no way that's um been outlined except for maybe if you want to be a um, pop star which is you know make hits and sell records but if you're trying to do something that's a bit different or create an alternative to that i like the fact that it's kind of um the wild wild west it's, it's wide open man you like that i love that <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of it's, it's it's definitely not for everybody but i do think that for an artist that has a clear idea of what they want to do the challenge is something that um i enjoy because um now you you, you really don't have anything in the way of you connecting with your audience you just have to figure out where they are and how you want to connect with them and what, what is the most effective way to connect. And speaking of connectivity, um, jazz festivals, you know, the, the Playboy Jazz Festival is coming up, but it's not just the Playboy Jazz Festival. There are jazz festivals all around the world. And there seems to be, you know, when you, when you talk to jazz fans and you talk to fans who have attended the festivals around the world. There seems to be this this unique, you know, maybe it's 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 the same thing that makes the love riot. So that you you want to you want to strive for that. You want to you want to keep getting that feeling, however you can get it. But for some reason, jazz festivals are more conducive, uh, or they are conducive to to. It's what makes them so special. But what what is it about it? Is it is it the fact that? And I'm curious from your perspective, is it the fact that because jazz is an improvisational art form? that when someone goes, they know they're going to see something that is completely different. It's never going to be cookie cutter. It's always going to be different by the, by the nature of what it is. Or, so it's always full of surprises. There's always that surprise and wonder. That's what it is for me, but, I, but I'm curious in you know, what you think. Yeah. Well, jazz festivals, jazz festivals are interesting because every one of them is different these days. We've toured a lot of different festivals, and um, there are jazz festivals that are pure jazz festivals. Then there are jazz festivals that are, I guess you could say, um, early jazz festivals. And then there are those festivals where they're jazz festivals by name, but they're not really jazz festivals. So I think that in, in, um, in looking at the similarities between all of them, it's definitely a great place to discover music. And uh, when you go, you know that there's going to be something there that you haven't seen before. And you know that it's going to be not not your usual, um, I guess, if you go to see something in a club or see a show, it's not your usual scenario where you only have that band. You can see five bands in one day. or You know, you can see several bands and discover a lot of things in in the course of a few days. So I think that that's, um, whether you're, uh, you're into any kind of jazz, like specific jazz, or you just like going to 
music festivals in general, I think that they're great to discover new music. And have you have you played? What is your experience with the the Playboy Jazz Festival? Have you played it before? No, this is my first time playing Playboy, and um, and I'm excited because it's it's such a great festival from the the, the people who played it, and also from the venue. I mean, the bowl is great. I've played there before, but never for the Playboy Festival. Oh, that's great! That's exciting. When you when you go to a festival, um, you play. Do you do you stay? Do do you stick around to watch? Do you stick around? Are you are you thinking? Hey, you know what? Maybe later we'll all jam. Or, or are are you someone who likes to to generally get in, do your thing, and then move on? Because I've spoken to to both kinds, but it seems like the the musicians who come in like to come in, do their thing, and then move on. And then there are those that it doesn't really matter. They're going to come in. They're going to do their thing. They're going to stick around because that's what they like to do. Well, man, I love playing. I love playing. I love playing. I love playing. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm at festivals, man, I'll go, and I'm there. And after we play, the festival set length is usually much shorter, and you don't usually play two sets. So I'm always ready to keep playing. You are? I was at, um, yeah. I mean, I I usually find someone that uh, I know and I go and check out their show, I discover a new artist, like I was saying, that I've uh, maybe been hearing about. And maybe sometimes you see an artist on the Internet and uh, you don't have the experience of seeing them live, and then they may be playing a set that's a stage over from you and you have an opportunity to check it out. Or, um, you know, there's an artist that asks you to sit in or you ask someone and you, you, you figure out some way of playing together that's uh, spontaneous, which is a beautiful thing. Okay, so here's I did that actually with Heart last weekend. To think about it, Heart, <laughs> which is not a usual pairing, but we we played we played at Bottle Rock in Napa Valley, and um, I went over to the stage, and Ann told me to come and play, so I ended up playing. That's awesome. That's great. Was it fun? Yeah, it was cool, man. It was really nice. All right, so I have a totally stupid question for you. How how does it how does it happen? Let's let's say there's someone there's someone playing that that you have just always wanted always wanted to play with, um, you know, if you wanted to play with with George Benson and Earl Clue, you know, and they're they're playing on the same day you are. How does how does that go down? How do you sort of say, hey guys, listen, you know, if you if you need someone to sit in for a little bit, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it it kind of has to happen naturally. It's not like. Um... I mean, you could always just walk on stage and, and do something like that. And I'm sure that some artists will react much differently than others. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but I don't I don't usually take that approach. I, I I haven't really had the experience where I completely didn't know or didn't have any um rapport with an artist that I've sat in with at a festival. And um if that was the case, they always approached me first but um whenever i'm approaching an artist is someone that i know or i'll talk to and we're like man we never get a chance to play we should play and um usually if they're they're open to it i'm always down right on that's great um i i want to thank my guest jonathan batiste for joining me today jonathan thank you so much this is this is a great conversation i really appreciate it uh if you want to reach 
Jonathan, or you want to follow him online, he is at John Batiste on Twitter uh, and at JonathanBatiste.com. The album is Social Music. Uh, and of course, you can catch Jonathan uh, and the band Stay Human at this year's Playboy Jazz Festival, which is on Father's Day, uh, on Father's Day weekend, like it is every year. Y'all should come out and join us if you can. I'm Josh Cooperman. This is the Playboy Radio interview. Thank you for listening. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. This is great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, now. All right, Jonathan. Take care. I'm gonna, I hope to see you uh, out there on Sunday. Yeah, man. Come out. Say hello. I absolutely will. It's going to be a beautiful weekend. You know that. Yeah, I hear it's going to be really nice. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, getting my gear ready to, to, to get uh, get sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. It was, uh, it was really warm this weekend. It's going to be really warm next weekend and the weekend after. So, But that's a good day. Yeah, you got to prepare yourself, man. That's going to be beautiful. I love that kind of stuff. Absolutely. It's great. I can't wait to see you out there. All right, then. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Later on. Thank you, John. Rerunning this conversation just made me happy. It really did. I cannot thank you enough for the time. Thank you, Thermosol, Article, York Wall Coverings, Franz Wigner, and Moya Living for your partnership and support. You are amazing partners to the trade and amazing allies of Convo by Design, and for that, I thank you. And thank you for listening and subscribing to the podcast. You already know this, but there are literally hundreds of past episodes that you may have not heard before, and you can find them wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So go check them out. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve, right? Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm